0: You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast, part of the Rocky Mountain Rooftop Network, a proud affiliate of the Fans First Sports Network. The end has finally come, Evan, as I am Skyler Timmons, joined always by Evan Lang. How's it going, everybody?
0: For you audio listeners, I waved to the camera and the season is over. 162 games in the books for the... 2023 major league baseball season. The nightmare
1: is finally over. We are at the end of return of the King. The ring has been destroyed and it's finally over. Mr. Frodo. It's over. It's done. Unfortunately, it was good times ahead for the folks over in Hobbit land. Unfortunately for us, time moves
0: forward into the great unknown. To be fair, it's because the movie skipped the sh- the scouring of the Shire chapters. Indeed. But,
1: eh.
0: <laughs> Instead, they
1: fake you out with three different endings. Fade out. Surely now black. it's done. And we're back. And Aragorn's singing. Okay. And we're
0: fading but out. And Samwise Gamgee's getting married. Good for him. But no fake out endings for us. There are no more Rockies games. They've made their lap around Coors Field and headed into the dugout and into the clubhouse. And the season draws to an end Mm -hmm. with a final loss total of 103 games. Lost. So,
1: yeah. So, that's the end of this season. And we figure we're going to split this into two parts. So, this first week's episode... We're just going to go through a rip the Band-Aid off. We're going to talk about what went wrong. Just our thoughts and feelings on pretty much in terms of record-wise and a lot of things, the worst season in Rocky's history in a lot of ways. There were a lot of good things, too, and we will get into that next week and have the happy fun time, <laughs> more positive note episode. But this one, getting in the nitty-gritty because that's really the important story Surrounding the team at this point is what the heck do they do from here going forward? How can they change? Because for the first time in their 31 seasons, 31 years of existence, finally lost 100 games. Clips did 103 103 losses. So the worst record in team history. Some of the worst offense in team history overall. Some of the worst pitching in team history overall. Just a lot of bad things. There are bad games, bad blowouts, awful historical things that we we're a part of. Just an ugly, ugly season. And just brings up that conversation we have every year, Evan, of what the heck's going on with the Colorado
0: Rockies. Pretty much. It's this was a tough season to get through. Probably the toughest mm-hmm. I've experienced in my. 25 years plus of being a fan of this team where even worse than the 2012 Rockies, the 2023 Rockies were just not good on a lot of different fronts. And there's so much that is going to have to be evaluated this off season where despite wanting to avoid it, The Rockies have stumbled sort of ass backwards into a rebuild. There's no getting around it now. That's where Mm -hmm. they are at. And there's just a lot to be done. I think we've seen some promising things from general manager Bill Schmidt, who does appear to recognize that the rebuild is here, whether the team likes it or not, which was what we saw by him offloading a lot of veterans and expiring contracts at the trade deadline for pitching prospects. Um, I am really curious to see what he does this off offseason.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's all kinds of stuff we're going to get into. And I think that's uh, a good place to start here is more or less recapping on this season, just how we're feeling. We've talked about it in uh, previous episodes of just what it finally feels like now that it's here. Last time we recorded, it was before we lost 100 games. Now it's actually here. It's happened how does it feel after you know finally reaching that century mark? How are we feeling about that Evan?
0: Not great um <laughs> I admit you know having gone to today's season finale and having you know witnessed the the walk off and the win, I'm in a lot better in a lot better of a mood than I probably would have been, but when you turn around and you look back at this season, that one hundred and three losses. All is all earned where uh-huh. the pitching was bad and the hitting was bad and the coaching was bad and just everything about this season it was was pretty bad. And th- there's bright spots, and we're we're gonna touch on the bright spots next week because there are positives to talk about this season, but just overwhelmingly a a negative experience, and it's it's wild to me how attendance-wise the Rockies still did pretty good in terms of having over 2.6 million fans visit the ballpark this year. The second best attendance for a 100-loss season team in MLB history behind the 2012 Cubs. Mm -hmm. But despite all of that, more so than ever, a lot of the home games felt like Rockies fans were drowned out by the visiting crowds. Yeah, that's the caveat with when i saw the you no
1: know, the attendance cuz they took a little bit of a dip this year in, in some aspects but overall still when you think of that caveat of well yeah they drew in 2.6 million but how many of those were rockies fans or how many of those were opposing fans coming to root on the other team and to outnumber outvoice the rockies faithful that's what it seemed like when you'd watch on tv or, or I'm sure when you've gone to the ballpark, you look out, and it's not a sea of purple. It's a sea of red. It's a sea of blue. It's a sea of orange. On the broadcast today, seeing the camera angles, why are there so many people in twins jerseys? Like, where are these Minnesota people coming from? So it just felt like Coors Field was not a home ballpark this season, even more so in recent years. You look out, and there's a lot of empty seats pretty barren it looked pretty barren there today on you no know, fan appreciation day a lot of empty seats it, sure that when the big teams come into town they fell out when the yankees come they sell out but people aren't coming to celebrate the rockies on the field primarily it's to watch the other team come out and have a good time which whatever that's perfectly fine if you want to come do that but it should be it's a
0: concerning thing that's kind of annoying I think something that accentuates that is, so I went to diamond dry goods today and they had racks and racks of the end of the season clearance sale. That was all visiting fan gear, mm-hmm. tons of giants gear and Dodgers gear and other stuff like that, that they sell over at the McGregor square shop mm-hmm. um, because you know, of the Rockies front office, of course, knows. Dick Montfort, of course, knows that we get a ton of visiting fans here at Coors Field. And, of course, he's going to capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. So it just, it shows how much they stocked for those over at the Immigrator Square, the rally store location. And I do kind of get, I was talking with my friend who I went to game with today. There are some teams where you get, them really showing up like the twins don't come to colorado that often they haven't been here in a couple of years or the the blue jays who came this year and i don't think they have been here since like 2019 or something Uh and to see the the tons of visiting fans for those series i do get it because your team is here for the first time in a long time and you're going to take that opportunity to see them Uh what really grinds on me is the teams that are not here rarely your nl west teams or your other national league teams the dodgers the giants the cubs the cardinals who always fill up coors field in droves when the braves were here in town this year and you could hear their dang chops so loudly and so clearly on the broadcast Uh yeah it's it was one of those things because then you look back
1: in the history the really awesome Rockies games and awesome years for Rockies is when that stadium is packed to the gills with Rockies fans and they're the ones chanting MVP or uh, other sort of chance. Let's go Rockies chance for the product on the field. But in 2023, was there really much occasion to be chanting? You no, know, let's go Rockies throughout the game.
0: Or to celebrate? No, not a lot. I think back on the surveys that the Denver Post posted Mm -hmm. uh, earlier this year at both the beginning and towards the end of the season um, to fans specifically asking, are you going to games? Are you going to less games? And overwhelmingly, the survey results were, I am going to less games because of the product on the field. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Rockies still did pretty good attendance wise. And they were like 14th or something in the league this year in terms of attendance. That's pretty solid for a hundred plus lost team. But this year it really felt overwhelmingly like it was visiting fans. And it's going to be that the team needs to rebuild the trust with its own fan base to put a product on the mm-hmm. field that is worth the fans coming back to see yeah. because, you know, I went to the game today and there were there were a lot of Rockies fans, you know, Rockies fans, young kids seeing their first Rockies game, older fans seeing their umpteenth Rockies game. But there were also a lot of Twins fans and a lot of uh-huh. neutral fans and a lot of people who were there just there to have a nice afternoon in very nice weather at one of the nicest ballparks in all of baseball. Yeah. And it's going to be it, it falls on the front office. It falls on the ownership to rebuild that trust with the Rockies faithful. Yeah, because
1: you, know, you look at the Rockies and like, I'm sure a vast majority of fans go, it's caters to the casual fan, the fan that oh, I'm just going to go to the sporting event with my friends or people from work. We're going to go have this gathering and we're just going to go drink, have a good time. And you no, know, we'll check in on the baseball game. And that's fun. Woo. A team won. they hit a home run. That's still fun. Again, that's perfectly fine. If people want to go do that but with thing with sports is you get so much more when you tap into that hardcore devoted fan base and we've seen in the past Colorado fans of the Rockies there is a ton of hardcore dedicated Rockies fans that are starved for a winner no they want to come and support they want to feel like they're part of that but when you look the product of the team, they'd feel like it doesn't matter. Like all they do is lose. Why do I want to go spend my money to watch them lose uh, at Coors field? It's really frustrating when that happens. And so what can they do? What can, how can they get over that and rebuild that relationship
0: with the, the hardcore fan base? It's going to take, it's not going to be immediate, I think the next couple years, we're going to continue seeing, um, seeing this kind of thing where mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of visiting fans.
1: Yeah.
0: And attendance is probably going to be lower because this is, for lack of a better term, this is rock bottom. And I don't know... I, I legitimately don't know how a Rockies team can be worse yeah. than this team. Where liter- literally nothing went right for this team. The injuries, the poor pitching, the poor offense, the the the, the amount of blowouts that mm-hmm. we suffered through. Like if you pull up the team, the team statistics here. The 2023 Colorado Rockies have the most strikeouts in team history. They have the sixth or seventh fewest walks in team history. They have the second worst batting average, the worst on base percentage, the second worst slugging percentage, the third fewest triples. Uh, we ended up with the fifth fewest home uh, RBIs in team history and ended up just barely getting out of the way of ourselves for because I think last week when we recorded, we were pretty close to having the fewest home runs in mm-hmm. team history. And now we're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the ninth fewest with 161 tied for 2000. <laughs> uh, we, we also had 161, but you know what record we had in the year 2000? We were 82 and 80. The Rockies had a winning season mm-hmm. in 2000, one of the few, one of the nine winning seasons in franchise history. It helps when you have Todd Helton on that team, too. Yeah, that was that was the Todd Helton show. That was the year where Todd Helton should have been MVP, and this year you think. The Rockies didn't have any MVP candidates. No. And that kind of builds into it. Now, uh, well, it's some
1: more of those stats. Renov, you No, know, I tweeted about him or X him, whatever the heck you call it now. Uh, they haven't ironed that thing out yet. Posted, but, I think is the best way to put it. That's stupid. I'm going to tweet it. Uh, but Ezekiel Tovar, his 73 RBIs are the fewest ever to lead the Rockies in a full season. 73 from the rookie. That is the fewest since Justin Morneau's 82 in 2014. It is the first season, first full season, we just disregard, we shoot 2020 into the sun. We count everything else. It's the first season in which they failed to have a player with 80 RBIs. And even more so, I tweeted about this last year, but came back again this year. They've tied a full season franchise record of three consecutive seasons without a 30 plus home run hitter dating back to 2021, tying a streak from 2012 to 2014. It's also the 10th time in club history that they have failed to have a player reach 100 RBIs. Also, Nolan Jones luckily getting to 20 home runs uh, avoided them becoming the second time in team history. That they failed to have more than one batter hit 20 plus home runs. So they just squeaked by that one. But historically, bad offense for the Rockies, bad pitching yeah. for the Rockies.
0: Uh, pitching defense wise, was pretty fine. Defense, I'll, I'll say this defense was good. <laughs> Everything defense else is one bad. of the few things that I will not complain about at all this year. Excellent, excellent defense from a bunch of different players. Um, Mine is Jurickson Profar, who yeah. was terrible, but I, it was made up for by guys like Nolan Jones and Brenton Doyle and Ezekiel Tovar. Ezekiel Tovar, I believe, um, now has the single season rookie fielding percentage record for a shortstop, mm-hmm. um, previously set by Troy Tulowitzki. But let's take a look at pitching. So we just went over how bad the offense has been. Pitching wise, it's the second worst ERA in team mm-hmm. history. Uh, it is some of the fewest saves in team history, the uh, fifth fewest. It's I think we got some of the fewest innings out of a starter in team history this year. We gave up the most some of the most earned runs in team history. We gave up the fourth most home runs in team history. We walked a ton of guys. I think we're in the top 10 for season with 580 walks. And strikeout wise, we're sort of middle of the pack. It just, it was not a good year. Mm-hmm. And, and it, we went a huge portion of the season without even having uh, a guy throw a single pitch that was 99 miles per hour or higher. Mm-hmm. And then the pitching just got clobbered. We came very close to setting a franchise record for home runs per nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second worst home runs per nine in franchise history at a buck 50 tied for that Mark with a pre humidor team, the 2001 team. No bueno. Yeah, that's the,
1: and then there was a ton of like the other putting up, bad historical records like when the Angels came into town and blew us out in that one game. No, we're setting for setting forth records that haven't been achieved. Other teams are achieving records that haven't been done since (laughs) since before World War One or like 40 years after the end of the Civil War type of stuff like pretty (laughs) frankly embarrassing things that have came out of the pitching staff and you can point to a lot of things. We know injuries are going to be a, a big talking point for if our pitching rotation wasn't injured. We we would have won. No, we would have done better if we hadn't lost those. And yeah, probably you would have done a little bit better, but still it's, there's a pitching problem in Colorado that's just yeah not been
0: being addressed because or being addressed Rockies, correctly. The Rockies didn't even use the most starting pitchers this year. Yeah, the franchise. Dodgers history they did. But 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 overall in the league, the Dodgers, the Rays, even the Rangers have all used a ton of starting pitchers this year. The difference is the depth, the the ability to have a guy who can step up and fill in the spot when Erman goes down instead of having to go bargain hunting for veterans, like, uh, no offense to Chase Anderson, but Chase Anderson and Chris Flexen, those were bargain bin mm-hmm. roster spot fillers. Yeah. Or throwing Ty Block in there again,
1: um, throwing let's throw Connor Siebold out there. Let's see what we can do. Let's turn Mel- Nelson Lamet back into a starter. Oh, that didn't work. So there, th- yeah, th- I think the depth thing—that's been the problem. They know that. They know that's the problem, but they're not doing enough to address it. And we argue, we not so much argue, but we all kind of lament this fact you know, in a, in our writers' Slack room. And everything that the team just the way they approach pitching and analytics and everything is just so much dysfunction and they're way behind the times. And we'll talk about that probably a little bit more in our second half, uh, second segment of the show, but they're behind the times. And for 30 years, the Rockies have made like a tiny minuscule amount of progress on figuring out how to pitch at Coors Field
0: and, they all, and you can only fall back. We were talking about this earlier today. Skyler, you brought this up as well. You can't just keep falling back onto pitching at altitude is hard. Pitching because at the big leagues is hard. It sure seems like plenty of other teams have figured it out this year. hmm Bailey Ober, the starter for the Twins today, was carving up Rockies hitters. Just strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. Mm-hmm.
1: He was throwing some wicked change-ups, you know, sliders down and away, and then what would you do? Pump a fastball up in the zone, up and in, swinging right through it. There's a way to pitch anywhere. There's specific you know, things you can do, just pitching-wise and philosophy, pitching philosophy, that truly, as someone who's born and raised, lived in Colorado his whole life, has pitched in Colorado his whole life there's certain ways to pitch and a philosophy of pitching that can be successful altitude be damned.
0: And they just can't keep falling into line of this outdated pitching philosophy of you have to pound the bottom of the zone. You have to throw sinkers. You have to induce ground ball outs and trying to force everyone into that mold. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about earlier. It's like, what they're doing with big league pitching where it's like, well, all the sinker ballers have to pitch the same and all the non-sinker ballers have to, it's weird. It's so bizarre. Look, it is it, not an approach that makes any sense in this modern game of baseball. It's everybody and everybody
1: has to throw it down in the zone. You no know, lay off your breaking balls as much as you can and just pump fastballs down in the zone. And it, it doesn't work. Especially when you don't have a lot of guys with really good fastballs. Yeah, that's the, the big thing. So it's pitching. They've approached it the same way for 30 years, banging their head against the wall. They've maybe tried to deviate from their pitching strategy over the years just ever so slightly. But it's relatively
0: been the same the entire history what it really feels like is that there's a disconnect Mm -hmm. between the minor league system for the Rockies and the big leagues in terms of pitching philosophy, because down in the minor leagues, we've got an increased reliance on analytics. Uh, We've got the development of the pitching lab in Arizona at the Arizona complex and lots of different types of pitchers throwing in lots of different ways. And then they get up to the big leagues And they get forced into this mold. And all of that goes out the window. Like, uh, I think we've talked about him a little bit before, but Victor Vodnik. Victor Uh Vodnik thrives with high, low fastballs up in the zone. And they bring him up here. And they have him pound the bottom of the zone. Uh And he's gotten beaten up.
1: It's not working. Yeah, definitely. And Yeah, that's the thing. And you have... Um, we'll probably dig into him some more too. Uh, that just that disconnect. I, it feels like it's coming from two sources specifically: one in the dugout itself, from perhaps the manager and Bud Black and the coaching staff there, and then Dick Monfort and like the front office. We get that feeling like Bill Schmidt and guys in the front office, analytics guys they realize they need to modernize and build things up and change and rebuild and change how they approach. Cause it's not working players in the yeah. clubhouse, but then you, your 66 year old manager who hasn't thrown a pitch in major league baseball since 1995 is the one that's really making those decisions still with how he approaches the game and trying to mentor the young pitchers that disconnect where there's that big age gap of, a guy that last pitched in 1995 is now trying to mentor and coach kids that were born in 1995 or later. Ow. Like it's that made me feel very old. <laughs> yeah. Like it's there's that disconnect there where you know, afraid of analytics or I don't know what, but modernizing just the approach of how the game works now and maximizing effort is just not the Rockies aren't doing it. And I think 2023 especially highlighted that of how far behind they are of everybody else in the league and other teams and scouting and like prepping, you know, the big league scouts, prepping guys with reports and information they have at their disposal to improve and prepare.
0: It just feels like they're lacking behind everybody else. Yeah. And it's it's not just in that, that it feels like we're lacking behind everybody else. It feels like we're lacking behind everyone in terms of player development, in terms Mm -hmm. of player depth, in terms of roster making decisions in, I can't think of another team that would have held on to Harold Castro for an entire major league season.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: They're lacking
1: behind in front office personnel, like turnover and decisions. And we're going to touch all of this in this second part of this segment because we'll take a break here really quick. But they're lacking behind in a lot of areas. And there's just that disconnect and dysfunction, that insular nature of the, of, of the front office, of how long people have been there to big decision makers, how long they've been there, showing that this team is literally stuck in the 90s. Oh, but that philosophy of how they try to approach the game 90s and maybe early 2000s, they're
0: just stuck in that era. And what I will say is Bill Schmidt is a lifer. Bill Schmidt's one of the guys who's been with this team forever. But I will say he is one of the guys who at least it feels like he is trying mm-hmm. to catch up and trying to make changes. But it feels like he gets stymied by ownership. Like. Dick Monfort was the major driving force. Dick Monfort and Greg Fiesel were the major driving forces behind the Chris Bryant contract, Uh his seven-year, one hundred eighty-two million dollars contract that is completely immovable and has been a complete disaster for this team. That was a Dick Monfort contract, not a Bill Schmidt contract, is what it basically came out to be. Uh Yeah,
1: we could go on and on about the problems at the very top, and we'll touch on it even more. But I think overall, I think we'll sum it up how we're feeling. My original question of how we're feeling after 103 losses. I don't know. How would you describe it in one word, Evan? Rock bottom. Rock bottom. We feel terrible about it. We're not angry. We're just
0: disappointed and kind of angry. I had some some flashes of anger over the last week. I think I said when it was like 14 to nothing in game two of the twin series, I said in our writer's room, basically they're like, man, I really, really hate this team right now. And I say that I ironically, I say that with love of, I hate this team because I know that they can do better. If they just put the brains and the resources behind it to Mm -hmm. succeed. Yeah. And
1: that kind of sums up the Rockies have lived Their entire existence on potential, but never doing enough to capitalize
0: on that potential to fulfill it. Because I think about a lot of other hundred loss teams and the strings of bad seasons they had and now and how they came out of that swinging the Baltimore Orioles won a hundred games this season. The Tampa Bay Rays were bad for a long time and now they're regular, uh, regularly appearing in the playoffs. The Texas Rangers got themselves a new manager and readed how they do things and they're in the playoffs. The Houston Astros were awful in the early 2010s and came back swinging. And no matter what you say about like the cheating scandal, or everything like that, what made the cheating scandal so frustrating or part of it? was that because they were already a really good team. They didn't really need to have done that Mm -hmm. because they are. They're a good team that develops pitching really well. Mm -hmm. And you have all these other teams who had, you know, prolonged suffering, prolonged failure, only to sort of rise up from that. The Seattle Mariners, unfortunately, missed the playoffs this year, barely. But the last two seasons that they've had, have shown that they are learning and changing and adapting and the mm-hmm. Rockies need to be doing the same. Mm-hmm. This needs to be, and I don't know if it will be in a perfect world. This would be a wake up call to Digmon for to the front office. What we do doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen, but for now big Lug, and look in the mirror. But for now, that's just where we're at. 103 losses, 59-103 and to finish the season. The worst record in franchise history by a decent margin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we feel pretty frustrated and annoyed by it. And we're going to continue that conversation. We'll take a quick break here. Come back, we're going to recap some more of this stuff with kind of the front office and you know, personnel leading the team and in conjunction with some uh, some Denver Post articles who had some great articles here recently so don't go anywhere we'll be right back here on affected by altitude Man. hello and welcome back here to affected by altitude i'm scholar that's evan we're talking about the rockies hundred loss, 103 lost season again we're splitting this into two parts this is bad part and then
0: we'll have good part next week of the highlights <laughs> of the season uh but we, we promise that next week is going to be a more fun episode. Yeah. I think everybody next week after having a week to ruminate is going to be in need of a palate cleanser Mm -hmm. and we'll do the, we'll do the fun stuff. We'll do our, our players of the year. We'll do award winners. We'll talk about the, the, the bright spots of the 2023 season. Few as there were, they did exist. Yeah. But
1: we're going to continue this train of rolling. Uh, over the weekend or earlier this week that we're recording, uh, the Denver Post dropped a pretty a pretty decent four-part, five-part series. There were some opinion articles, too, some survey articles. But a main four-part series uh, looking into basically the Rockies' way, looking to like three decades of baseball mediocrity. And the crew over at the Denver Post, uh, Patrick Saunders, Kyle Newman, Matt Schubert, and some others just wrote this four-part articles, four-part article series, just talking about the Rockies' history. And there's probably some regurgitated info that we see every year from these teams, but they did a, a nice kind of <laughs> review of the season. And you know, it's pretty interesting. Here we're part one talked about you know, Patrick Saunders trying to talk about the Rocky Way. What is the Rocky Way? because we hear of the Cardinal way, the Cub way, the Yankee way, that kind of stuff. What is the Rockies way? And oh, pretty much finally, like I, he has no clue. And I don't think he, neither does the team, which is a, a big one of this. I think there's a problem that we've talked about before. The Rockies just don't have an identity. They don't have a vision of what they want to be and where they want to go.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. And, and I, I liked this article series. Um, I'm trying to find, I had a quote that I really, really liked, uh, from it and I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, so bear with me while I vamp and yeah. stall for time. Well, while you do
1: that, I'll, uh, I'll continue to run down the topics of the series here. Uh, if you want a nice recap without getting the Denver post, uh, subscription, you can check out Joel milm's uh, home's article over on purple Road titled. This is why we need local sports journalism. Uh, get a nice couple of little recaps there. Part two was talking about course field attendance. We touched on that a little bit earlier uh, there where fans are just starved for a winner. Part three was just talking about the front office stuff, Jeff Breidich debacle and about Bill Schmidt as GM, if he's the right man for the job. And then there's the use of analytics and things in that. And then uh part four, is just talking about the draft and develop dilemma where the team hasn't been very good at that. So that, that's kind of the, and like what they're doing with the minor leagues and trying to upgrade there, what they're doing down there. So that's a
0: little overview of it. If you found that quote yet, I did. So this is from the, um, the art, the part of this series that was by Patrick Saunders. Um He says it's emblematic of a perception that has hovered over the Rockies throughout much of their history that they lack the vision, creativity, and wherewithal to construct and nurture a consistent winner. Mm -hmm. And that is an excellent and very painful Mm -hmm. way to put it. And I think a lot of it is the Rockies getting in their own way. Mm-hmm. We, we touched on this in the first half is that we have an extremely meddlesome owner. Dick Monfort has his hands all over some of the worst decisions in the history of this franchise. Mm-hmm. He was the one we found out who pushed so hard to sign Ian Desmond to play first base. And he was also the one who really wanted Daniel Murphy because he wanted to get Daniel Murphy earlier and didn't. So that was his chance. He is the one who facilitated some of the worst parts of the Nolan Arenado trade. He is the one who facilitated the tenuous relationship between the Rockies and general manager Jeff Breidich. He is the one who pushed to sign Chris Bryant to the contract that he is on right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, it's easy to blame. An owner,
1: as a frustration like, oh, if only, but most owners, you can blame a lot of other owners for being cheap and like, yeah, it is their money. And they like, they want to know what's being used with their money. They don't want to lose money. But I don't think many or if any owners are as involved in just the day-to-day baseball operations as Dick Monfort is where after club president uh, Kelly McGregor just kind of suddenly when he's tragically and suddenly passed away. The team didn't replace him as club president until 2021. And under Kelly McGregor, like they had a plan. They had a vision moving forward with the team. But then when he passed away, they lost him and like his knowledge, his passion, and his vision of leadership as club president. And just went, "Well, we're just going to stick
0: with a GM. And Dick Monfort took over that role. Exactly. That Dick Monfort installed himself, was calling himself the team president, the president of baseball operations. And this is a guy for as much as he calls himself a fan, as much as he he does love this team, he doesn't know baseball. And we've heard from sources time and time again, that he thinks he knows baseball much better than he actually does.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And And go ahead. And it's not not that he doesn't spend money. Uh, We've debunked this time and time again. The Rockies are generally middle of the pack in terms of payroll, which is solid for a mid-market team like the Rockies. It's that they spend their money so badly that Dick Monfort goes out and says, let's spend all this money, and it always blows up in their faces. Every time. You add the vaunted Super Bowl pen, the Super Pen, back in 27, 2018, 2019 with Brian Shaw and Jake McGee and Mike Dunn and Wade Davis. You had Ian Desmond signed to a five year, $70 million contract. And you can't blame any of these guys for taking this money. Mm -hmm. You would, I would, we all would take that money. You blame the guy who is facilitating these deals, who is got his hand in all the pies. And mm-hmm. that is unfortunately the ownership. That's Dick. Uh-huh. Instead of you know sitting back and having the GM come
1: like, "Hey, you know, Dick, we're we're looking at this guy. We need this amount of money." And then that's no. It's up to the owner when it's a large amount of some how some he wants to be involved. and That's fine. Of course, you know about the financial logistics, but to try and insert yourself of making the key baseball decisions of players on the field. Now that's where it gets the problem. And I like this quote from one of those in that part one article Says, say what you want about Dick Monfort. This was just from an anonymous source, an anonymous agent said, say what you want about Dick Monfort. He's been unbelievably consistent. He's never wavered. He's going to follow the same path every time. That's his team. That's his baby. And those are his guys. He doesn't like to be criticized, but he hasn't really wavered from his path. And you look at how the Rockies have operated since 2005 when no, he and his brother became you know, the the sole like ma- majority owners of the team after you know, pushing out McMorris. They, when they took over the team and he kind of took over like, hey, I'm in charge of this baseball team now. Oh, I'm going to be in charge. My sons are going to be in the organization now working in key positions. Oh, my club president died. Well, I can just do that now. No, I can't sully his name. We can't replace him. I'll do it instead. And that goes on for like another 15 years, almost 20 years. And yeah, aside from some good playoff seasons where good players or a foundation was already built and growing. But after that 2009, it just kind (sighs) of just kind of crashed and he hasn't wavered he's going to do the same things bring in the same kind of players do the same kind of personnel decisions run the team the way he wants to bring in the same kind of people you no know, promote from within an island unto himself of and
0: just how it works in that front office what i will say about the you know hiring his sons into key positions is that nepotism exists in every sports team Uh, professional sports is the greatest facilitator of nepotism outside of like politics Mm -hmm. where no matter what team you go to, unless you're like the Packers who are publicly owned, the owner's kid is going to be involved somehow for as long as they are in charge. And for Walker Monfort, he is specifically on the business side of things. Okay. Okay. And what I'll say about that is, for what it is worth, Dick Monfort and Walker Monfort and the business side of this team know damn well how to make an appealing ballpark experience. They uh-huh. have made Coors Field an excellent ballpark, a draw to tons of people, even the most casual viewers, and have great attendance because of it. Well, they build
1: up lower downtown Denver with more property and stuff.
0: Yes. The business side of things, I think this team does well. It's the baseball operations side that they do not. And that's why it was you know, troubling when Sterling was appointed like the director of scouting. Mm-hmm. But the, the, old, the, the positive I will say about that is at least Sterling has a heck of a lot more baseball knowledge than his dad, where Sterling Monfort grew up playing baseball, played college ball, Uh, When he was first hired by the organization, he acted as a scout. He worked for the Grand Junction Rockies. He's been around the game his entire life. That is at least better than Dick Monfort. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't really know how else to spin it, where we are probably looking at one day Sterling is going to be named the general manager. I think that's pretty unavoidable. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is
1: Dick Monfort won't admit to to not knowing probably as much as he would want to about running just the baseball operations and putting a good product on the field. But then he hasn't done enough to doesn't know how to surround himself with good baseball people know who could make a difference, make a change. Instead, we see the team be very insular. He sticks with the people he knows that he trusts that are already been underneath him working for him. So they know his culture. They know him. They know what he expects of them. And he doesn't want to, you know, shock the system and bring in outside help. Uh, Bill Schmidt still, I feel like he has ability to do more things as the GM make a greater impact like you said, he's kind of handcuffed. I don't think he's yeah. able to do as
0: much as he'd like to.
1: The ownership because of has his to over
0: him. him. Yeah. And really, the, the trading away of all these veterans and free agents, I think is the first time we've really seen Bill Schmidt probably step up. That's one where it feels like he went to Dick. He went to maybe even Bud. And it's like, this is a lost season. And mm-hmm. we need to... I rebuild. need pitching arms. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, this team needs a restock on pitching arms. And this has got to happen. Mm-hmm. Because it really feels like his first season of being the GM, it feels like he had no power whatsoever. Yeah. And there's been mistakes, especially with John Gray. John Gray was probably the biggest mistake on his resume right now of not being able to bring him back, where the team lowballed him and John and his agent went out and got an actual offer and left. But a really good example of people of of where they blame this is Trevor story. Looking back on it, I actually do legitimately believe that the team did not get a lot of great offers for him because his arm was a major concern. And that's why we saw him go unsigned for so long where he was a pretty late signing for the Red Sox. And we also found out that Bill Schmidt legitimately tried to bring Trevor story back. Like they offered him more money. It's a good thing they didn't. Yes, I will say that, especially (laughs) because he had to have that major surgery. But that is not one that I fault Bill Schmidt for. And it ended up, we gave him the qualifying offer, it was rejected, and we have a pretty darn good prospect named Sterling Thompson, who came out of that. But I really do think that first trade deadline that he had, and then that first offseason, he didn't actually have a lot of power. Mm Mm-hmm. And then up at the front office, you've got Dick, who fancies himself a baseball guy, and he's not, and Greg Fiesel, who is a businessman. Who played football. Who played football. He is not a baseball guy. Yeah. Like but as, he, was, he was named the president of the, the team.
1: Yeah, as a club president, which, no, it wouldn't kill the Rockies. They need a president of baseball operations. They need to lengthen that chain of command, where then you have the club, the president of baseball operations is that liaison between ownership and, and the general and the general manager, they work in tandem and then the president goes to the, the owner, but the Rockies don't have that. They have Greg Fiesel, Greg Fiesel who rhymes with weasel. He's just the club president of really just focused on like the ticket side and like business aspect has really nothing to do with.
0: And you know, there are some great names out there who would make a good president of baseball operations. If they fall into the open market, Marlins general manager, Kim Ng is a free agent is a a free agent at the end of the year. She has not yet been re-signed by her playoff Miami Marlins, who she got to the playoffs in two years of becoming their general manager. Mm -hmm. If she becomes available, I would hire her as the president of baseball operations in a heartbeat or shine bloom. Um, who was fired by the Boston Red Sox. I don't think we make him the general manager, but he'd make a solid president of baseball operations, someone who can work with with Bill and sort of be a liaison between Bill and Dick Monfort in terms of getting things done. There's only one problem with all those, Evan. Uh, they don't already work in the organization.
1: And that's the the problem, because there's some of those surveys from the Denver Post. They did an article, like various guys. And one of them is like... You, you never see the Rockies trying to poach, you know, assistant GMs and, and, you know, personnel, front office people from other teams to come and run their squad. And, you know, immediately installing Bill Schmidt as the GM when they had said, oh, we're going to run interviews after the season. Well, why? how many times do we need to be knocked over the head? Bill's the person. He's the guy. He's working right down the hallway. He's the perfect person for it. How do you know? they never checked outside. They never go outside to ask for help and get outside perspective because, again they're scared of upsetting the culture that they already have set. You now they're comfortable and complacent where they're at. And so yeah. they don't want to bring in somebody who might shock the system, might change things. You know, there's always disagreements between ownership and people that, you know, maybe come into the organization, want to change things it just doesn't work out. So that's so insular people around the league baseball world knows this. And they just look at the Rockies like, what are the? What are they doing? They're so weird
0: over there. Yeah, it's but, such a bizarre system. And you look at the the front office decision makers as compiled by the Denver Post. And there are only two people who have been with the organization for less than 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we can roll through that list here. Owner, chairman, and CEO, Dick Monfort, been with the organization for 26 years. President and Chief Operating Officer Greg Fiesel, been with the organization for 28 years. Senior VP and General Manager Bill Schmidt 23 years. VP of International Scouting and Development Rolando Fernandez, 31 years. VP and Assistant GM of Scouting Danny Montgomery 33 years. VP and Assistant GM of Baseball Operations and Assistant General Counsel Zach Rosenthal, 18 years. Senior Director of Scouting Operations Mark Gustafson, 30 years. Director of Professional Scouting Operations, Sterling Monfort, 13 years. Director of Player Development, Chris Forbes, 16 years. Director of Research and Development, Brian Jones, 17 years. Director of Pitching Operations, Steve Foster, 9. Director of Research and Development, Brian Jones, 17 Oh, he's on there twice for some reason. Didn't realize that. Manager of Baseball Research, Brittany Hobby, six years. Special assistant to the general manager, Vinny Castilla, 16 years. Plus all the time you played for him. It's just... Any other team, I think, would have realized at this point that it's time to reach outside of the organization. That it's Mm -hmm. time to fix what isn't working and get outside perspective. And they just don't do it. Yeah. Cause just regurgitating a philosophy
1: and ideas of, well, we're going to hire, promote this guy. We're going to promote Jeff Breidich, Dan O'Dowd. He was that outside hire, joined the team and then does his thing. And then his protege, Jeff Breidich joins. Nothing's changed. He still has been in the organization. Okay. Oh, now it's Bill Schmidt. Who's been in the organization forever. It's just the same ideas again and again, maybe with a little bit different voice that is saying it. So it's just an insular insular front office that's scared of change. And it's just really frustrating that they haven't looked outside of themselves and thought, man, we need help. We need to ramp up our analytics department. We need to boost that sucker out. We need to modernize our philosophy and how we approach the game, because what we're doing, like you said, isn't working. We've been Mm -hmm. doing it for 30 freaking years. It's not working. You have one World Series appearance, zero
0: division titles. The Atlanta Braves have won more NL West division titles than you. And another part of this Denver Post uh, article, probably one of the more ouchy ones, in my opinion, is it goes through and it takes a look at how all the other teams have done since the Rockies became a team in 1993. Uh, The Yankees, Braves, Dodgers, Red Sox, and Cardinals are the top five by winning percentage. And there are 14 World Series titles between those five teams since the Rockies became a team. Meanwhile, the bottom five teams by winning percentage are the Rockies, the Marlins, the Tigers, the Pirates, and the Kansas City Royals. And the Kansas City Royals have a World Series title, and the Marlins have two. And all of these teams, but the Pirates, have more World Series appearances than the Rockies. Uh-huh. And uh, the Tigers two world series appearances and the same amount of playoff appearances at five. Uh And you'd think you'd look and you'd see, wow, since becoming existing, the Rockies have been one of the worst teams in the league consistently. Uh And you do something about it. And I think it's, it's (laughs) endemic of how this team operates. It's, How they don't really fire anyone; they always have to mutually agree to part ways. Like Jeff Bridges wasn't actually fired; he was pressured into resigning. Walt Weiss and the Rockies mutually agreed to part ways, and the last guy that they fired was what? Jim Tracy? Clint Hurdle? Uh, Clint Hurdle, because Jim Tracy resigned. Yeah, (laughs) Clint. uh, Jim Tracy resigned. Clint Hurdle was fired in two thousand nine. So it's been over a decade. It's been almost 15 years since the Rockies actually fired anybody mm-hmm. in terms of coaching staff or, or front office staff. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it's very odd. Yeah. Because it's okay to fire people. It's okay to go, this isn't working. Look at the, the Giants just fired Gabe Kapler, their manager. He, They won 107 games like... A year and a half ago, it was what, 2021, they won 107 games mm-hmm. and they were almost in the playoffs this year, but they parted ways. They said, what we're doing isn't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's okay to hurt somebody's feelings and fire them yeah. instead of doing a rolling year to year contract negotiations yeah, with
0: whoever Bud whoever's Black's black. weird lifetime contract with this team, where he's basically with the team until he doesn't want to be, is nonsensical for a team to operate with. You've got a 66 year old manager with an incredibly outdated way of managing, and i I've gone to I've gone to bat for Bud Black a lot over his tenure with this team, to the point where. I have been very unpopular with some of our readers and with some other people online because it feels like I stick up for Bud too much. But after this season, something's got to give. And you've got this, you've got Bud Black who had to read my my Thursday rock pile from last week where I talk about it is time for the Rockies to reevaluate their coaching staff. And it starts at the top and it starts with Bud Black. And I talk about, this team hasn't had a winning season since 2018 with black as the manager, his preferential treatment of veterans is handcuffing the team. And we've seen a little bit of that. You know, even recently there was the MLB post MLB.com post where Kyle Freeland is talking about how bud treats him now. Like he treated the veterans in 2017 and 2018 when he was, when he was young. Mm -hmm. And says, it's like he's evolved, but he's also stayed the same. And its I would argue he hasn't evolved. He has stayed the same, but what has changed is his perception of you as a player, Kyle. Mm -hmm. And we saw this where he basically had to be forced to play the rookies this year. It was injuries that basically forced his hand. Yeah. And then it was it was Bill Schmidt <laughs> taking away his toys and saying you have to play these guys now. And even then, Hunter Goodman, once he went cold, couldn't even sniff the lineup. hmm And
1: then uh his in that when they finally lost a hundred games. You no, know, but he's kind of becomes the cranky old man when he's upset and doesn't like the questions that are being asked because <laughs> you know, it's frustrating. He doesn't like to be asked, but He gets asked about that. And one of the things parrots the points we knew would be said, injuries. But then he brings out, and then obviously with how how our roster has changed and we've had to play a lot more young guys. No, and
0: we don't have the veterans here. Yeah. (laughs) So let me, let me read the quote. Let me, let me read the quote. Um, Denver Post Patrick Saunders pressed Bud on the 100 losses. like He really didn't want to answer... He really didn't want to answer this question until Saunders really pushed him. And what he said was... He asked about the significance of it, and Bud says, it's another loss this season. I don't quite know the question. If it's 98, 99, 100, it's another loss. No, there's no major significance. And then he poses the question back to... Dr. Patrick Saunders asked, to you? And then another reporter asked, like, what played a significant role in the losses. And he he says, well, we've had our share of injuries. I think that plays into where we went from here. Where we went from there as far as our roster. You saw our roster transition over the course of the year. If I'm not mistaken, I think we've used more position players than we ever have in our franchise history. I think we've used more pitchers than we ever have in our franchise history. So that leads me to believe that we've been hurt by injuries and also some performance as well to necessitate roster moves. And some trains at the trades at the midseason of some veteran players that then transition to younger players as well. Where he is parroting all the same points that we feel the organization is going to come out with in, you know, Dick Monfort's literacy and ticket holders or anything else of it was the injuries and we traded away all our veterans. And that's why we were bad. Despite the fact that other teams have had plenty of injuries too. You cannot go through a major league season without dealing with injuries. It's impossible. There's no such thing as a 100% healthy team all the time. And the fact that the rookies playing, really galvanized this team, I think we definitely could have lost even more games. Mm -hmm. Probably would have lost even more games had we not had Nolan Jones, Brenton Doyle, and Ezekiel Tovar all playing regularly, turning in some of the best defensive seasons in Rockies history, turning in solid offensive seasons. Some of the best rookie seasons in team history. The Rockies had never in team history had a rookie 10 for 10 player. They had three this year. All three of those players had 10 for 10 seasons. Nolan Jones joined the 20 for 20 club today on the last game of the year, had one of the best batting averages, had one of the best on base percentage, had one of the best slugging percentage is the team's most valuable player by wins above replacement by a significant margin. Uh And he didn't start playing until May. (laughs) frustrating stuff 2020 in uh, under 400 plate appearances that's a pretty exclusive club Mm -hmm.
1: and we'll definitely touch on them even more next week uh but we're this is going to be a long episode folks a little bit longer than usual and we probably should take another break here uh pause for a break but we're gonna finish up this conversation touch on a little bit more maybe set up another future roundtable episode hopefully with our homies from purple row. But when we come back, we'll finish up some lingering conversation stuff. And then talking about some signing news and then our players of the month for the month of September slash October. It's mostly September. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on affected by altitude. My light fell and you heard the batteries crashing. Yeah. So <laughs> hello and welcome back here to affected by altitude uh, you're going to hear us laughing here because a very awkward coming back in from break uh, but
0: I leave these in video because they're fun Like because we're usually doing something stupid making some pose, moving around, saying something but
1: we're going to finish things up here uh, we'll go super more in depth on it just for sake of time and probably because we, we want to try to get an episode where we you know, get our, our writing friends over at Purple Row. You know, maybe try to figure out some sort of roundtable discussion to have about management and just the coaching staff with the Rockies. If Bud Black's the right man for the job at this point in Rockies, there's no indication that he's going to be losing his job or resigning or anything. We're stuck with him they're sticking with him probably even through 2025. He's probably going to sign his contract in February, be signed through the 2025 season.
0: Yeah.
1: And he just kind of, he's set for life and then eventually gets promoted to some,
0: some sort, sort of front, of front office. office position.
1: Position. So it feels like we've talked about this where Bud Black, when he signed on as the manager, 2017 and 2018 he was the right man for the job at that time. They had a young, exciting pitching staff coming up and no, as a pitching coach, it was intriguing. Okay, let's bring in bud black. He's a veteran leader. He's been in the national league West. He's had success in his career. Let's bring him in and he can be the leader with this veteran group, this team built to compete at the moment. And and what happens? They go to -to back-to-back playoff appearances. Is that all because of bud black? He probably contributed and helped out, but the team now feels like they owe it to him. Like, oh yeah, he's the reason we got there. So we can't lose him because he's so important to us. His leadership is so important to this ball club. And I feel like at this point with the way things have gone since 2018, even then when the offense was pretty terrible in two of those seasons, like 2018, that offense was not the best. (laughs) Like they had was that negative run differential
0: forever and made it to the playoffs some yeah, ugly numbers, weird. some weird things like even that wild card game that we all hold near and dear to our hearts was a pretty ugly boring dumb game in terms yeah. of offense
1: when Tony Walters when Tony is Walters your, when is
0: your offensive player of the game you know something ain't right. <laughs> and I say that with all the love in the world to Tony Walters
1: but uh, since then, The team's kind of gone downhill and collapses and just doing a whole lot of nothing where it then culminates here in 2023 is, as we described it last year, a squelch, just a nasty fart. You can't help but question, well, the guy at the head of the ship, his job shouldn't be safe, right? He
0: should be on the hot seat. Yeah, it shouldn't feel like he's got carte blanche. And that should go for everyone on this coaching staff with, I think, exceptions for Warren Schaefer and Bam Bam Mullins, both with their first season with the big league team and Vinny. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to fire Vinny? No, you're not going to fire Vinny, Vinny fires you. But it's... Well, and we'll talk about this probably in a couple of weeks when we try and arrange our roundtable, but it is time to reevaluate this coaching staff. It is time to reevaluate Bud and Reed Cornelius and Daryl Scott and Mike Redmond. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: because it's like we said, it's not working. Pitching staff has progressively gotten worse, especially after Steve Foster moved up into the front office. Somehow, I don't know what happened there. That was a weird one where Steve Foster
0: moves into the front office and then pitching just takes a nose dive off and the cliff. It's, and it's become kind of a running joke that Daryl Scott comes out, does his mound visit, and then someone immediately gives up a home run. Mm-hmm. And now uh, it,
1: it goes back to, you can always blame other guys, but then still at the top of the ship leading the charges, picking these guys is the manager.
0: Yeah. And this is
1: buddy's crew. And, we talk about with how he's managed the team at times. When he Bud Black prefers veterans, I think we've that's been pretty well established. And he doesn't like using more than maybe like one or two rookies if he has to. So, like Ezekiel Tovar, he was already all in on. Yeah, Tovar is going to play out the season. He's going to be our shortstop. That's great. But you look around the rest of the <laughs> the roster. Nolan Jones got an opportunity finally because of injuries. And got that playing time and then showed up and did his thing. And then that forced his way into the lineup. Yeah. Brenton Doyle was just so good defensively and they had nobody else. They just left him out there
0: because of his defense. And I will say like Bud loves defense. One of the best ways to get yourself consistent playing time is solid defense. And Bretton Doyle delivered in a major way. And that's also why we saw Bud where it really felt like, man, this guy hates this kid Montero because Monty's defense at the beginning of the season where they, they planted him at third base for a little bit. was pretty bad. Admittedly, it was not good, but you can tell that he's put the work in. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating to watch these kids. Where it's like, why are they not in the lineup? Why is Harold Castro playing? Why is jerks and playing what's going on?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's when a guy uh, that was the most frustrating thing for us, A guys, just blazing hot down in, in the minors. And then he gets called up and he sits. Michael Tolia was the same way. Michael Tolia was hot down in the minors. Montero was hot in the minors, comes up and sits and or they play. And then they just detract. They're having a lot of success in triple A where the minor league system finally has video coordinators at every level. They're getting information, analytics. Everybody in the minors wants to use analytics. They're all in on that. But then there's a disconnect once you get to the big leagues where the team's not using it. They're not prepping for it. One of those surveys in the Denver Post talked to Eric Kratz, uh, partly a villain that we're not a fan of in Colorado when he was on the Brewers and blamed us about the massage gun.
0: Oh yeah, his nonsensical cheating claim. It was like the metal benches at Coors Field is like one. The game you're the game you're uh, accusing us of cheating was an away game. Two, the Coors Field benches are made of wood,
1: (laughs) and the Rockies don't even have the type of gun he was talking about. But we digress. But he's backup catcher and has that the foul territory guys podcast show thing. Whatever. I only ever see clips on TikTok. But he was talking about there. He's talked to players that have come through Colorado that the information they get for preparation is way less than where everywhere else they go. It's just sort of vague information. And so either it's just the, again, that points back to the analytics department research. They just not having the man hours, the men to populate those, or it's just the coaches are compiling it and either not using
0: it or just going pretty bare bones with it. Yeah. It's like um Noah Davis, for example. Noah Davis has a decent sinker but has has good breaking stuff. And what he has apparently wanted to do in his time with Triple-A Albuquerque was go back to the more the kind of pitcher he was with the Reds organization. And the isotopes were facilitating that where he was throwing a lot more of his breaking pitches all over the zone. And then we called him up and he's throwing all these sinkers down in the zone. It's like there's a there's a clear disconnect.
1: hmm Yeah, so that gets frustrating, and then again it goes back to wanting to play more veterans and, and holding on to these veterans. Oh, I need my veterans. And then it, it's just not working. Something's clearly up with the coaching staff that just isn't working. Disconnect. Oh, it just and that goes back to the manager. The manager is the one that Falls on the sword should take that blame. No, I would have loved in that interview, and we talked about it. Renee Decker talked about it where no you Bud Black knew this was coming, it was coming, the writing was on the wall, and he had should have had time to prep for that, yeah, and could have easily nope said something along the lines of yeah it, it's tough to lose that many games it's this isn't how this we wanted the season to go. And uh, we definitely need to do better. We need to address some things and you know, improve in things and, and readdress for t- next season. Yeah,
0: said he get cranky grandpa who doesn't yeah. want to answer the question. If I can again go back to my article about reevaluating the coaching staff, I, I discussed this. It. It's just like, um you know, to quote to quote my article. Black seemed agitated with a question that he had to have known was coming. And he answered with excuses from the organization that don't hold much water. He then also appeared to blame the team's record on a transition away from his trusted veteran from trusted veterans towards younger players and rookies. Ultimately, it was an answer that lacked accountability and any sort of competitive energy. <laughs> and I, I go on to talk about like. This is a a young team that I feel like needs a coach. that has got that fire in his gut. And and Skyler, you brought up and you talked about this last week, too, of that Don Baylor quote of people say we're going to lose 100 games. It's not my competitive spirit to simply accept that. And Don Baylor was he was the guy with fire in his belly. You know, that was Mm -hmm. who he was as a player. That's who he was as a manager. He fought and scratched and clawed for every victory he could get out of an expansion franchise while establishing a team identity. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't feel like, and this is not, this is not an indictment on Bud Black as a person. This is, I think, a realization that this team has outgrown Bud Black and what he can do for this organization. Uh-huh. Because again, I don't think Bud Black is a bad person. I don't even necessarily think he is a bad manager. On the right team, yeah. this is not the right fit. A rebuilding club with lots of rookies and hot-headed attitudes and guys who are wanting to have some fun is not the Bud Black fit. Uh-huh. And I also, I also discuss, and it's it's worth pointing out that Don Baylor was only five years removed from his own pretty good major league career when he became the rockies manager mm-hmm. whereas it's been 25 years since bud black was in the majors 25 years since he pitched regularly we need a coaching staff that is more in touch with with the modern game, with the current game, that's able to be more in touch and and understanding of your young players. Mm -hmm. And also
1: like can push the front office a little more of like, okay, I need this stuff. I, I need more information. I need these analytics to help the team where I wouldn't, I couldn't see Bud Black doing that. I can't see him going up to Bill Schmidt, like Billy, like I need more like, Pitch. I need more of these baseball savant articles or I need more analytics on these pitch shapes, these fastball usage numbers and and shapes against the Minnesota Twins. I need more info on that because Nolan Jones, we're we're wanting to work with him on this thing. I can't see him having those kind of conversations, pushing that. Now, a younger coach, maybe, you look at the age of major league managers right now, the teams that are at the top that have the oldest managers like Dusty Baker and the Astros, Brian Snicker with Atlanta Braves. But you look at their organizations, how they're set up. And like Bruce Bochy with the Rangers, Bruce Bruce Bochy has that experience that pedigree with them already, but you look at the organizations they're with as well. And what those organizations are doing to meld all of that, the big league managers experience, how that manager's success, and his ability to work with players and ability to use information that the team provides to just meld
0: it all together into a winning yeah. culture and, and establishment. And Bochi's a great example of an old school manager who is a lot better with the modern game and also getting along with his players and having that that really fiery energy. It's always a it's always a hoot when Bochi you know w- was was not like waddles, but limps out of the bullpen, limps out of the dugout to go argue with an umpire and get himself ejected from the game and getting his money worth. <laughs> and Bochi's not a perfect manager. His the way he's handled the the Rangers bullpen over this last stretch of the season has been pretty bad. <laughs> um, as as their bullpen has just been atrocious with blown saves and and keeping guys like Aroldis Chapman in. And the closer role when that's not where he should be to facilitate this team winning games, but yeah. the rest of the organization is there to pick up the slack on mm-hmm.
1: that. Yeah, and and you can continue to look around at the league and just the the interesting dynamics with everything, and then you there's the younger managers in the league with the teams that are going to the postseason you can look around and point to a lot of things and it's not necessarily to say a younger manager would fix everything or an older manager would fix everything, but it's old dogs needing to learn how to do new tricks. And I'm not sure if, if our old buddy black is, is
0: wanting to do that. Yeah. And you look at a lot of these interesting teams, even though some of them are rebuilding or coming out of rebuilds are guys who are under 50. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocco Baldelli of the Twins is 42. He's one of the youngest managers in the game. John Schneider of the Blue Jays, who are in the playoffs, 43. Skip Schumacher, 43, of the Marlins, also in the playoffs. Kevin Cash, 45. It's a game that's getting younger. And, you know, being just being just young doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good manager. Like, look at uh, look at Oli Oli Marmol in St. Louis. Yeah, um, I think it can be said without hesitation that it's been a pretty bad year for him. But you look at some of the other guys, where you're sort of seeing a changing of the guard. Like outside of Dusty and, and Bruce Bochy and Snitker, Buck Showalter of the New York Mets announced that he is not returning to the team next year. He was res- he is resigning from his position. <laughs> the heavy uh, quotes on the resigning. They pretty much fired him. Terry Francona uh, is retiring after the season ends. So he's, he's done. And and you're going to see, I think a changing of the guard with some of these guys. Mm-hmm. And I think I would be shocked if you don't get much younger managers out mm-hmm. in Cleveland and out in Queens. Yeah. Or like a Gabe Kapler will move out to, will move to Cleveland and you
1: no know, Craig council is going to stick around in the league move somewhere if he doesn't stick with the Brewers. So there's that still that core of young managers that are out there. There's bench coaches and other players that are out there that'll interview for positions. And just the game's getting younger and it's adapt or die because we look at what happened to the Chicago white Sox that sent them into the horrible spiral they're in. Now they brought, yeah. they dusted off the mummified old dusty corpse of Tony the Hall LaDufa. of Fame baseball person of Tony, Tony La Russa. to come manage. And it just tanked that organization, the the culture, everything for those young, exciting players they had.
0: It just shoved him in the toilet and he went back to his crypt. And, but then he was brought back. Like, that's another thing that you look at the dysfunction of, of some teams and you look at the owners, Jerry Reinsdorf, has said some truly baffling things this season as owner of the Chicago White Sox and then brought back Tony La Russa into an advisory role mm-hmm. this year. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then you look at the Tigers, who's going to be a special assistant to the general manager and everything. Oh, Miguel Cabrera, a Hall of Famer. Immediately after he's done playing, he's going to be helping
0: the organization. Going Which is forward. An, an incredible thing. I am incredibly... Uh, happy to hear that uh, Miguel Cabrera has had an incredible career and that is the the immediate right thing to do is say you're not going anywhere Mickey you're gonna stay with us and you're gonna help us Mm -hmm. build the next generation of Detroit Tigers I love that yeah this team and it's just the
1: Rockies looking outside of themselves and thinking there's always ways to improve they talk about we're going to listen to all, any and all offers. We're gonna There's ways to improve. That also applies to your manager and your coaching staff who's leading your organization to establish the tone and culture of the team. And right now, you can't leave it all up to the players to establish the culture. You need a guy at the head as the leader to
0: help facilitate that as well. This team needs another big Don Baylor. A guy who helps this team establish an identity. Yeah. And you can, you don't even have to look outside the organization's history for this kind of thing. I've been saying it for years that the fact that Carlos Gonzalez is not doing anything with this team right now uh-huh. is weird. Yeah.
1: There you have Vinny Castillo right there in the dugout. Warren Schaefer seems primed to, for a rebuilding team of young players to lead them. And so and that there's was, tons of things. That, that was what
0: do. we knew about Shafe when he was the manager down in Albuquerque. This is a guy who gets along with his young players. Mm-hmm. And establishes a fun culture that revolves around winning
1: and, and success. Albuquerque had some fun times under him. And you know, he brought in, they helped bring in Jordan Pacheco, who's been very successful as the hitting coach. Pedro Lopez this year, as the manager who was under him as his bench coach or pitching coach or whatever. Continued success down there. So the answers and, are there, even if you want to stay. It in wasn't house. a
0: per, it wasn't a perfect season for the Topes. Um pitching, especially really tough down there. But it was a pretty fun season, in my opinion. Yeah, when they battle for a playoff spot in the second
1: half. Now that speaks volumes. That's more than the Rockies were doing. But yeah, man frustrating stuff and yeah. we'll try to continue this conversation more on bud black but if i was dick munford and bill schmidt i would go to like buddy what are your plans like we need to figure this out and we're, we're thinking about going in a different direction yeah no they do they make the decision
0: it's up to them yeah. i think what needs to happen is sort of a round table discussion of you sit down, Dick Monfort, Bill Schmidt, Bud Black, and some of your players, Chris Bryant, uh, Charlie Blackman, and maybe, Kyle Freeland maybe can come to. Kyle Freeland, and maybe even bring in guys like Nolan Jones, mm-hmm. guys who you want to be with this team for a long time, in addition to your wife or veterans, and say, What's the plan? Let's hear mm-hmm. some thoughts. Yeah. Uh, And then that will result
1: in them getting traded to the St. Louis Cardinals along with $50 million. Uh, Oh, man. This episode's still running long, Evan. Do we take one more little break and then we'll end on our happy note? Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, yeah, more or less leadership struggling. The team has struggled in the developing department. We didn't even touch on that. But that kind of goes back to just Analytics and player development is just still out of whack. There's a disconnect across, but they have the pitching lab in Arizona that's going to be ready in December. We'll see if that helps out. There's just the lab. I guess it's not just a lab, an analytics lab opening at Salt River Fields. Uh, but that's coming in the future. But man, so much dysfunction for these Rockies, 103 losses. It's just frustrating. We just want something to change. For better or for For better. For better. I'm not saying for worse. Better. For better. We want change for better. Because it's the definition of an insanity. They've been doing the same thing over and over for 30 years. And it just hasn't worked consistently. (sighs) Anyways, we'll take one last break. And then we'll end on some news, Players of the Month. And then get out of here without making it a two-hour-long movie. Feature length. Feature length episode. We'll be right back. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.
0: lobby. Get ourselves a treat. treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The snacks they have are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. Welcome back to Effect by Altitude.
1: We're finishing up this This episode. This team makes us want to drink. And I don't even drink. (laughs) Um, But we're going to close things out here. A couple little things. Uh, We had talked about it all year. We've talked about it multiple times on this episode. Or not episode, on this show. But uh, anything exciting happen over the weekend with a certain veteran player for the Rockies?
0: Uh, Chris Bryant bought Nolan Jones a Rolex. There we go. That's the news. Uh, That's the big news. Uh, Rich man buys a rich watch for a rich kid. I actually do want to touch on this just a little bit because it speaks volumes to how important Chris Bryant is to some of these kids in the locker room, the same way that the guy we're about to talk about is, where early on in the season, Chris Bryant made a wager with Nolan Jones, said if you make it to this amount of RBIs, I thought it was the 20 home runs. It was, it was both. I believe it's kind of a mixture of anything. It was, it was basically you either get 20 home runs or you hit this amount of RBIs and I'm going to buy you a Rolex. And Nolan Jones has said that like Chris Bryant has been really big for him in the clubhouse this year. And Nolan Jones reached that milestone. And so Chris Bryant, man of his word, sent him a link. All right, man, I'll hook you up with my jewelry guy. Pick out your watch. And no, Joe, he comes back and says, All right, I'll get this one. I tried to find the cheapest one that I can. And KB goes, No, 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 no. I've got you. Take the one that you want. I've I can make that happen. It's not a <laughs> not a problem for me. Jamie, I'm being I'm paid a hundred. I'm being paid $182 million over seven years. Pick out the damn watch <laughs> that you want. Homie, I, I'm getting paid $26 million this year. Pick what you want. Please. And so Nolan Jones flashing that Rolex, flashing that big smile. And I, I, I think it's great. I'm really happy. It's like Chris Bryant, the contract-wise, performance-wise, it hasn't worked out. But there is no doubt that his presence in the clubhouse has been so important. And the other guy whose presence in the clubhouse has been so important on this team is one Mr. Charles Cobb. Chuck Nasty Blackman. Is that on his birth certificate? Probably. (laughs) But it's written in like Sharpie, like he crosses out. Yeah. Charles Cobb Blackman and writes Chuck Nasty with the lightning (laughs) bolts on the side. There you go. And he draws Uh, a beard on his baby photo. No,
1: he was born with that thing. It's his natural born baby beard. He just shaved it for (laughs) several years. But yes, Charlie Blackman it was announced in a weird way. It was right before his first at bat on Friday against the twins in the on deck circle they announced over the PA system. So this is a surprise to pretty much everybody, even the players in the clubhouse yeah. that Charlie Blackman and the Rockies had agreed to a one-year extension for 2024. It's kind of pricey at $13 million with $2 million in incentives for plate appearances, but he can earn up to 15 million by the end of 2024 but Charlie Blackman back for one more year. We knew it was probably going to happen. Uh, now that it's happened, now that it's a reality, pretty pretty exciting. Or is one of those it? It's kind of double edged sword. It's kind of complicates roster building. Of like, well, Charlie Blackman's probably going to play way more, and it kind of blocks some young players. But the value that Charlie Blackman brings as a leader with some good offensive production still out of him. He's the exact type of player you want on your team still, at least for one more year, which could be
0: his farewell season. I agree. And I will say, yes, it is a, it's a little bit rich. $13 million with up to $2 million in incentives. We were talking about when we discussed this topic of it being more the lines of like, you know, $79 million, dollars, $10 million. But what I will say is the Rockies can definitely afford it next year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a young, cheap, rebuilding team next year. Lots of guys on rookie deals, lots of guys in arbitration. They're probably going to have a pretty low payroll next year because it is not worth making big free agency splashes when you're in a rebuild. Mm-hmm. That's for when you're coming out of the rebuild and it's time to get your finishing touches done. And I think it's so important that we do this for Charlie Blackman. Yes, he is going to block some guys and yes, there's probably going to be some guys who are on their way out because of this, but there are also some guys who the Rockies need to reevaluate their place with this team moving forward. Like Michael Tolia, like Alaris Montero and the biggest thing for me, I think, I want to quote a uh, a tweet from Nate at Rocktober19 on Twitter because it really nailed how I feel at the time. This was back on September 24th. He said, if this ends up being Charlie's last year in Colorado, it's one of the saddest, quietest, and non-talked about final years for one of the most iconic players in Colorado sports sporting history that I ever remember. And I really agree with that, where I was... I was feeling before the game, he can't go out like this. This can't be his last year with the Rockies in the worst season in franchise history where he was honestly one of the better players on the team that nobody talked about. And he missed a huge chunk due to injury, not getting his farewell tour as it were, like other legends of this, of teams get. Uh And we don't know if next year will be Chuck's last year. But But I think it gives you time to think about it. And at 38 years old, it's definitely a possibility. And and Chuck was talking about when he had the presser about his extension following the game, he was saying things like, I didn't know if this was going to be the last year. And I definitely was spending more time taking things in and really thinking about it. uh And I think a guy like Charlie Blackman, who is one of the greatest Rockies In team history, he is right up there with Larry Walker and Todd Helton. Maybe not a Hall of Famer, but definitely a Rockies Hall of Famer. Definitely a, you retire that number 19. That number goes in the rafters. I don't care what you think. It goes. Mm -hmm. There will never be another guy like Charlie Blackman for this team. Just like there was never another Larry Walker. There was never another Todd Helton. Mm -hmm. And to have his farewell his farewell season to have had that be where he spent a huge chunk of it on the injured list where nobody really talked about it being his farewell I didn't want it to end like that yeah I was really happy and I was honestly I was honestly shocked to see the amount of negative reactions his contract got like that was that was strange to me but i am I'm really happy that we are we're doing right by Chuck. And we can afford this contract. And it's like we said before, sometimes you are rewarding a player for what they've meant to the team. Mm-hmm. This is Chuck's reward to stick yeah. it out his potentially final year as Mr. Colorado Rockies. Mm-hmm. And like, he could
1: have left these past two years. He chose to stay because of he had the options. Then he picked up the options. He chose to stay. So this is just that one last reward of, like, Chuck, we need you for more year to help mentor our young outfielders, to mentor some of our young players, and just ride this out with us one final time to help, to help set the stage. Uh, no, that that has bad connotations because of the Broncos. <laughs> but one final season, come with us uh, and, and help. He can be like Moses and help lead the Rockies to the promised land, but he will not be able to partake because that'll be the end of his time. It's he's not meant to head there. His time will have come, but if he can lead the, the Rocky lights to the promised land. All right. This is a pretty, tor- this this metaphor is getting a little tortured here. No, the, the rock that he has the beard. <laughs> he's going to strike a rock with his bat and it, he's going to hit the, baseball with his bat, and it's going to explode with water. Baseballs and hot dogs will fall from the heavens. All right, now it's just getting weird. He's going to go up onto the mountain and come down with the Rockies commandments, and he's going to look
0: like Charlton Heston
1: and also talk like
0: him. Thou shalt not tackle Dinger on top of the dugout. Yes. But let's talk about like just really quick, and then we'll 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 go on to our players of the month here. Charlie Blackman in under 400 at bats, 96 games, only struck out 55 times on a team that struck out so much this year. Like we said, most strikeouts in franchise history, and he he did. He didn't strike out as much. He had a 13.5% strikeout rate. One of the lowest in his career. Yeah. He takes those professional Todd
1: Helton-esque at-bats. Like, Charlie Blackman is late-stage Todd Helton at this point.
0: That's really what it feels like. And in those 96 games, he had 24 doubles, Five triples, which is crazy for a guy his age. Only eight home runs. 40 runs batted in, which I think he would have definitely had way more had he not um, spent so much time injured. It it was tough for him, especially with that broken hand. And if he had had, been the leadoff hitter the entire season. Yeah, instead of jerks and profar. Mm -hmm. And talk about Charlie Blackman here has one of the best OPSs on the team mm-hmm. of all of the starters. Only Nolan Jones has a better OPS tricks. OPS is at eight Oh three for a 38 year old player who missed a large chunk of the season. That'll play. Mm-hmm. And he also stole four bases. Yeah. Four stolen bases and five triples from your triples franchise leader. That's great. That's something to be excited about. That's so much fun. And I'm happy to have him come back. Yeah. Good for old chuckles that he was still an impact player on this team. Yeah. And can both on and off the field. Definitely. And speaking of impact players, we should probably move on to our uh, players of the month. Huh? Yeah. And we probably won't. I'm going to assume
1: we'll probably expand more on these guys next week. So we'll kind of keep this pretty quick. Yeah, We're uh, already a feature-length podcast here. We are longer than the Super Mario Brothers movie.
0: Uh, Evan, what, who's your batter of the month? Your player of I, the month? I don't think there's anyone else you can give it to except for Nolan Jones. <laughs> Mr. Rolex himself. That's also Because my he was and has been all year incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And we look at how he did in the month of September, where he hit 350, 460, 631 with an OPS of 1.091, 11 stolen bases, six home runs, three triples, five doubles, 22 RBI, drew 20 walks to just 25 strikeouts, and 11 stolen bases on top of that. Yeah. This is the Nolan Jones show. And especially today where he got his 20th home run and his 20th stolen base on the last day of the season to join a very exclusive club. There are only 15 other players who had a 2020 rookie season. Every single one of them before this year Except for, sadly, honestly, Ellis Burks in 1987 had rookie of the year voting in the top five. And there are two guys who are at that level this year, and that's Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks and Anthony Volpe of the New York Yankees. And Nolan Jones did this all. I said under 400 plate appearances. I was unfortunately incorrect with that, but just barely over where Nolan Jones had 424 plate appearances. All these other guys on this list, it took them at least 500 plate appearances for them Mm -hmm. to reach that mark. That's a hell of a season.
1: Yeah, all while learning a new position
0: and excelling at it with 19 outfield assists. The league-leading 19 outfield assists, a rocket launcher for an arm, And it's not even his native position. Yeah. But uh, I will also
1: give special mention to hilarious Montero. Also a phenomenal month of September. Uh, And these stats aren't even updated for this after that final game here on baseball reference, because baseball reference is weird. So you can add it's seven home runs for Nolan Jones and everything, but no, a over two, almost 300 average for Montero in this final month of the season and on base around 370 a 553 slugging he was awesome awesome down the stretch here in in September with that regular playing time he finally looked like a big leaguer he looked like the montero they traded for yes. and now only right in time for him to never get the playing right.
0: time because Charlie blackman's going to play right field and chris <laughs> bryant is Bryan playing first, first base day. what and i think you do is you start that rotation of your three DHS are Montero, Blackman and Bryant. Mm -hmm. And you just rotate them. Whoever's not playing defense is going to be that DH that night. And I think you can make that work. Honestly. Uh, Other shout outs. I honestly, there were a lot of really interesting months of September that I think deserve recognition. Uh, Brenton Doyle, really turned things around in August and especially September where Brenton Doyle hit 261 286 477 in September and really it it took that month to get his batting average up above 200 but he did it <laughs> woo and that's all while being an incredible defensive center fielder uh four triples two home runs That's that'll play and an additional four stolen bases. Uh, Also big shout outs to Brendan Rogers, who struggled a little bit in August when he came back from his injury, but really looked a lot more like the Brendan Rogers we know and love in September. Uh, Brendan Rogers hit 302, 356, 479 with four home runs and five doubles in the month of September. And then another honorable mention, Sean Bouchard, Like this is a guy who could start on any other team and he's our backup right fielder uh, OPS of nine fifty two with three home runs Mm -hmm. in his uh, 10 uh, in his 20 appearances in the month of September with 10 starts. But overall it's the Nolan Jones show. Yep. I believe that's back-to-back months for Nolan Jones too. But
1: moving on here real quick over on the pitching end of things, uh, Evan, who's your pitcher of the month?
0: This one's a lot tougher because pitching was pretty bad in September. Um, But after giving it thought, I think it's got to be Chase Anderson. Uh, We are in agreement once again
1: because Chase Anderson, I'm going to talk on this one. Yeah, talk Uh, about Chase Anderson. Five games, made the five starts, 3.86 ERA. He finally got a victory about dang time. Uh, 25 and two-thirds innings. That was the most... Or one of the most among starters. Uh, oddly enough, Ty Block and Chris Flexen had more, but Chase Anderson was a lot more just effective. Now uh, eleven earned eleven earned runs on twenty hits, gave up three home runs, twenty strikeouts, thirteen walks. Did have that seven shutout innings, seven no hit innings, uh, in the month of August, I believe. Yes, but just overall, just went out there and had some really good starts down the stretch. Didn't, wasn't able to make his final start for the last game of the season because of a blister on his finger. But we talked to him before, It's a guy that's been a bit of a leader, innings eater leader there in that rotation. You know, when he's been in there, it's been decent, solid. No, not great, not terrible, but these last couple of starts, he's put in some decent numbers. Yeah.
0: And no, oh, could see a reunion for next year. Who knows? But solid, your, solid final month for Anderson. For a number five starter whose job it is to get out there, eat yings, and keep games from getting out of hand. Chase Anderson did exactly what you want. Uh-huh. Did good stuff. Anything to add? Uh I'll give a shout out to Ryan Feltner. Um, not necessarily for his performance. Um, but his first game back after coming back from that really scary head injury from that comebacker where he was just great through five innings, he looked exactly like the pitcher he was before. And uh, it, really a shame that he struggled in his second start and left with uh, elbow inflammation.
1: Yeah. Um, so
0: best of luck to him. But just having him come back was really great. Um really it's 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 chase anderson uh kyle freeland had a pretty solid couple starts in september before he was shut down with injury as well but a lot of these other guys there are a lot of eras for september in the eights Mm -hmm. and the nines and the tens poor poor tommy doyle who in four games in september had a 15.88 era yeah ugly go around for pitching but that was the story of the season. So we take what honest, we can get, and I honestly think for a lot of these guys, especially the bullpen arms, they were just gassed. Yeah, the the amount this bullpen got used. I I look at Matt Cook, who had such a great season up until September, where he he sort of came back down to earth, and he was great yesterday and today. Um, in the spot start yesterday and coming in in extra innings today, he looked fantastic and has overall been really a good pitcher but he's pitched more than he has in a while uh-huh. and other guys Justin Lawrence, Jake Bird, Brent Suter, they're all so gassed and that's just it, it's you reach that point you're at the end of the season and the energy is gone. Uh-huh. Yeah, rough covid, but I believe our MVP is also unanimous decision Nolan Jones. No Joe. The best Nolan in Colorado Rockies history. The one true Nolan.
1: Mm,
0: give it time. As hey, that much other of, guy, that as other much guy didn't make the one. playoffs.
1: Yeah, but we still paid for his entire salary this season. Yeah,
0: but he's off the books. So it's
1: it's only right that he didn't get to go to the playoffs either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Colorado Rocky by default. He just dragged the rest of the team down with it. Yes
1: he's he's on the payroll he gets drugged dragged down too and hopefully that's the case for the next several years as we pay 5 million a year yeah. anyways on that happy note for this bad episode of we're talking about the bad stuff lot it's a long one thanks for sticking with us uh hopefully coming in uh, with the ads it's going to be about 2 hours it's
0: going to be about 2 hours long <laughs> oh goodness but thanks do for sticking wanna, with us do we want to vamp for another 14 minutes and see if we can officially hit the 2 hour mark no, I'm good. My <laughs> phone's dying. It's time to it's time to go eat dinner and like, yeah. do things. Yeah. And I have to edit this. I have I have work in the morning, so I have to edit and upload all of this. So
1: you'll hear this at some point during the week, but but we appreciate you sticking with us throughout this entire season each week. Uh there's only there's only one of those months where we lost we didn't do it for a couple episodes. But we appreciate you sticking with us throughout the season. It was a tough one. And we just pray and hope that stuff changes for the better. The team just works towards improving. And that's stuff that we'll talk about next week when we talk more about the good of the season and know the the steps that they can take towards improving and that they've already started taking and hopefully good stuff. So then we have a little bit more to celebrate going into the 2024 season, but yeah, anything else
0: you can promote what you want to do, Evan i mean, like you like you said, you gotta we take you take the good, you take the bad, and there you have the facts of life, the facts of affected by altitude, the facts of the Colorado Rockies. Yes, thank you so much for supporting us through an incredibly difficult season. We're gonna do our best to keep the content coming over the off season. uh, we have ideas, we have some general plans, we're gonna see what we can do. We definitely wanna keep going. Weekly or at least bi weekly, you'll keep getting episodes from us. You can find me over on Purple Row, writing the Thursday rock piles. In addition, you can find me on social media at, at Evan underscore Lang two seven on Twitter and on threads, and at, at Evan Lang twenty seven. BSKY social on Blue Sky. You can also find written content, which we're going to try and have more of this offseason over on Fans for Sports Network, FFSN. Dot app Over on Purple Row, keep an eye out. Skyler has been killing it in terms of written content. He has a ton of stuff coming out as we start our ranking of the Rockies series, where we go down all 57 players the Rockies have used this year by wins above replacement. So keep an eye out for that over on www.purplerow.com. I want to thank all of our other writers at fans for sports network and at purple row for everything they do. Skylar, this includes you. Couldn't do this without you. Um, thanks, You're for right with you
1: can't.
0: thanks for sticking with us through a, a tough, tough, tough season. Skylar, mm-hmm. where can the folks find you at? And what do you want to promote? You can find me over at, Twitter at sideline underscore crowd or Twitter or X
1: formerly known as Twitter. And um, yeah, that's the main stuff still. And then every Rocky ever at every Rocky ever, you can catch up with all our episodes from the season. There's only 13 of them. So not too hard to catch up, but we'll continue rolling those out in the off season. Check and out our not most two recent- hours long. Yeah. Uh, check out our most recent one where my brother pulled out his 1993 tops inaugural team set deck of cards that he got at the stadium and we just kind of run through that which is kind of fun Uh, i definitely recommend the video version of that on youtube be sure to like and subscribe here on youtube and then leave us a review over on the podcast platforms apple podcast spotify five stars leave a review
0: helps out the show hopefully it's a good review Please, please, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at Rocky Mountain Rooftop and twitter.com slash Rocky Mountain Rooftop. That is R O C K Y M T N Rooftop on both of those. So that'll do it here. As we've already eaten up more time
1: at a minute 50 of our recording time, we finally bring it to a close. Mercifully, much like the Rocky season. In which they lost over 100 games. Full circle. It's like poetry; it rhymes. Until next so time. Dense. Every scene you see is just so full of stuff. Indeed. And that's the Rockies in a nutshell. Uh, I'm Skyler That's Evan. We'll see you next time here on Affected by Altitude. Hit them with it, both of us. All right, three,
0: two, one. Farewell. Farewell. Oh, Kermit the Frog. We uh we watched a, uh, another season of uh Rockies baseball here, and uh it was uh, bad it was a bad season.
1: Farewell.